the panel are NZ National. Now, Spencer Cox, the governor of Utah last month, initiated a campaign called Hashtag Disagree Better, saying that we have reached the point where people just cannot sit down and discuss things anymore. Have a listen. I'm Spencer Cox, Republican governor of Utah. And I'm Jared Polis, Democratic governor of Colorado. And we're here to help save your family dinners. You know what we're talking about. You're halfway through your second helping of mashed potatoes when your MAGA uncle decides to share his thoughts on the latest election conspiracy. We all have that uncle. Or instead of passing the salt, your woke niece passes along a particularly controversial fact that she read on social media. Or maybe you're the one with the strong opinions. What do you you think of this, Simon? You're in the public sphere. Do you get a sense that this is the real issue? Is it something you'd back? Hashtag disagree better. Um, We live in an angrier world, and uh, we live in a world uh, driven more than it used to be, I think, by uh, prejudice and 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 an unwillingness to uh, compromise. And that's true in politics, and it's... uh, Particularly true, obviously, in America, but um, and and because of that, um, I, I think this is fabulous. I, I would love to think that Spencer Cox, the Republican governor, uh, had a word to say or two to say to his party, because in America they are driving this, and uh, that is spilling out for the rest of us. Well, <laughs> Morgan Freeman said. Just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I don't like you. Now, I think that in a sort of human-to-human capacity, we should be able to disagree, have different points of view, and be friends. I just think it's, you know, it just sounded a bit odd, the two senators, (laughs) you know, going, oh, let's just disagree after you, or let's not disagree after you mashed potatoes. I mean, I think that's a waste of party political money, frankly. I don't... I mean, I would see that as as a role that, you know, in, instead of, you know, begging for um, people to not disagree, they should think about how they behave with their campaign and, to your point, Simon, how their blimmin' party behaves because they are driving the huge ideas divide, uh, you know, trying to push it back onto the people at dinner table over the mashed yeah. potatoes, I think, is right. wonky, Ma- wonky, majority, wonky. Hey, majority of, of Republicans in America who are surveyed say that they believe the last election was stolen from them, and therefore a lot of them think it was okay to try and overthrow the, the democratic result. That is an extraordinary phenomenon that hasn't occurred in a major okay. democracy in our lifetime uh, Interesting to hear what our listeners are thinking. And it's a much ha- bigger issue. Hashtag disagree better. Uh, you're on the panel, Simon Wilson, Cindy Michener with me now. They were originally known as Taranaki Savings Bank, proudly independent and New Zealand-owned. TSB says they've been putting their customers first since... 1850. But residents in Opanaki are outraged that TSB are closing their branch. The placards are out. Profits before communities. With us is Raywin Cornford, chair of Opanaki Districts Business Association. Uh, we will get Raywin back. We've just lost about yet again, Cindy, um, another bank closing. I look I just think it's such Wasn't a sh- this one of your I've been thinkings uh some months ago? Well, one of my I've been thinkings was about banks and their profits. Um I, you know I think the irony here is TSB and its 
open aki because actually I think TSB is a, generally a pretty good bank. Yeah. Um, Hasn't the wire wrapper got around this by having a multi-brand hub? Let's go to Raywin now. Hello, Raywin. Hello. How are you? Uh, lovely to have you on the panel. Thank you. How's the feeling in Opanaki community about this news? Yes, it's very sad. They're very sad, actually. They feel abandoned. Nothing more to say than that, Simon. Abandonment. <laughs> there you um, go. So yeah. could you just tell us a little more, Raven? Um, have you been abandoned mm. by other services or shops or retailers as well? Not really. Mm. We're, we're just quite a small satellite town yeah. um, right out on the um, west coast of Taranaki, um, um, quite away from our centres, which are Hawara, which is probably um, about... 48 minutes away, and New Plymouth, that's an hour away. Um, so it's a lot of travel and a lot of expense to have to go and deal with issues. And who does the bank, who was the bank branch serving? The community. Yeah, but a lot of people in the community do online banking now. So um, what 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 were the services they were offering that you'll now lose? Oh, the service they were offering was depositing um, lots of cash okay, from so the retailers. Right. And, Raywin, is it and, was it the last bank open in Opanaki? Are there any others, or was it was it the is this the final straw? This is the final bank in Opanaki. Right. And yes. and what do they propose that retailers do with their cash? Well, basically, they said we'd have to organise that ourselves, <laughs> and um, they do have a. They have. Um, they've installed a hub. Yeah. In the uh, South Taranaki District Council Library, that's open five and a half days. So, how far is that from you? No, that's there. It's in our town. Okay, and can, but you can't give them. You can deposit cash at your hub. Yes. Okay, so that's good. We can deposit cash at a, at the hub, um, but we cannot get any change, which means $5, $2 coins, $1 coins at all. We right. can deposit, but we cannot get any and, change. And, and retailers in your town are still still have quite a lot of customers who use cash in that way. Is that, is that what you're suggesting? Yes, yeah, yes okay. lots. Right. We've got yeah. 31 businesses in open open. Is it, is it an example of just feeling forgotten, perhaps? Here you have a town and um, all of a sudden the last branch gone. Yeah, well, it's more than that. It's more that it's a Taranaki community bank. Ah, oh, yes, of if course. You, Taranaki it's owned by they, they have held our community. Raywin, they have been there the longest. How how much longer? I mean, as I said, I, generally TSB is one of the much better banks. I mean, you know, just policy wise. Yes. But so, yes. how long ago did all the others close? Oh, a long time ago. Um, so, so that's probably, my point. TSB yeah. have been hanging in there as long as they They've possibly been, can because they are Taranaki. That's right. Owned by Taranaki community. Yeah. They're so, not owned by <clears throat> offshore Quite anyone. Right. They are Taranaki community. 
bank. And so your point is, because of that, there's no reason that why they should close. They're trusted, as uh, Cindy says, they're often in the top of the surveys or, or near the top. You say they don't need to close, that, that your great town needs a branch. Yes, I do. Mm. And I think that um, we, um, because they're Taranaki community-owned, they have, I consider, a respectful um responsibility to be a little bit different than the other, you know, Australian offshore-owned banks. Do you buy that, Simon, or are you saying, oh, look, you know, we're all going digital now? Um, I, I, I sort of buy it. I, I, um, I know that if banks are running unprofitable um, services, then that is an impact on the owners of the bank who are, who are the Taranaki community. Uh, so there's an issue there for all the owners of, of the bank. Um, and TSB is not like the big Australian-owned banks in this country um, making billions out of no. us and, and taking it overseas. It- um, and you would you would expect them to be um, responsible with their overheads. Um it's it's a really it's a really difficult one this because society does change and evolve. It will not be long, and I really hate to break this to people, but it will not be long before we, we have fewer service stations in the country. Yeah. Okay, you know? let's put that to, let's, that's going to be tough let's put too. that to Ray when it's the final question. Yes, right. Okay. Well, I consider that because the uh, TSB and Openaki was owned by TSB, the land it was built on was gifted by a very reputable um, old, very back, they're called the Yep people, and they donated the land and they built on the land, on the donated land to Openaki, the TSB. So there should be some uh, respect and honour and loyalty back to us. Because some sort of exception. Our people yeah, right. have been in Openaki loyal to the branch due to the fact it was that way. Well, now nice. we have yeah. no loyalty, no respect. We didn't even know about that. No consultation. Well, no, Raywin... no, no time to give our voice and our, our care to about our people that live here. Well, it's good to have your voice uh, on this uh, program too, Raywin. That's Raywin Cornford and I just have one here. The, the TSB are closing in Palmerston North this month. As well. That's Rowan Cornford, who is chair of Openaki and District Business Association, Gomburgers, the local branch. 15 to 5, the panel. Many have really noticed the cost of public transport since the half price concessions were lifted for over 25s. And if National get in, full price public transport to under 25s as well. Goodbye to the 11.5% regional fuel tax. Our Aucklanders calculated to be the hardest hit by these planned changes. With us is Dr Timothy Welsh, who specialises in transportation, urban modelling at the University of Auckland. Dr Welsh, kia ora. Kia ora, thanks for having me. Very good. What were your thoughts when you read this plan, and particularly this regional fuel tax gone? Yeah, Possibly. the regional fuel tax is a big one, um, and then obviously the cuts to the Community Connect program are big. But I think overall, the Nationals tax plan is a really good illustration of kind of the collective power of our tax dollars. 
I don't think many people would argue that $10 a week for an individual or even $125 for a family is life-altering. But if we can use kind of the, a fraction of those collective ta- tax dollars to cut in half or eliminate the transportation bill for millions of Kiwis, I think it makes a strong case for keeping government dollars in programs like the Community Connect program and keeping well, those fares low. we have two Aucklanders on the show here. Tim, let's go to Cindy first. I, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's crazy. We must be encouraging the use of public transport. Um, from what I could read, the demographic the most that's going to be the most affected by this is the 16 to 24-year-olds. Um, you know, they're the ones that are getting the biggest benefit from it. You know, we have to strategically think about how we deal with, you When's know, emissions. the last time you used a bus? Oh, I live in Caraca. You know how it would take me eight hours. I'd have to wait for the bus, go across to the train, and you know. It's... There you go. So hardly ever. All right, okay. um, stay there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's mean. Not fair to say. No, that's <laughs> mean. We don't. We don't need a public transport service that gives her. Um, Public transport in the countryside where you don't need a timetable. No, we do need that in, in the cities. Yes. Yeah, we do. And we need to encourage people to use it. How do we encourage yeah. them to use it if it keeps getting really expensive? If it becomes more expensive and you are giving people more money, putting them in their pocket and calling that a climate dividend, that's okay. just that's well, not let's, silly. Let's, let's is, 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 is that an issue, uh, Bethan? Because I'm just taking my, my bus fare now is uh, 90 bucks a fortnight. Uh, it's raised to that, so I go, what, uh, 14 k's to Blockhouse Bay and back. That's just back to work. So it's, eighty, I think, $88 a fortnight. Mm. That's, it's, it's, it's not cheap, Timothy. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at Auckland, we have uh, the second or third highest public transportation fare in the world. It's comparable to living in New York and paying a fare, so it's really expensive. And there's more than okay. just a climate angle on this. It's not just getting people out of cars and on buses for the climate, but there's a lot of people in the Community Connect program that have no other alternatives. So it's making sure everybody can kind of participate in jobs and, and the economy. Simon. As well as congestion, as well as road safety. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keep if, community if, connect. Uh, it is hard in this country, as it is everywhere, to develop climate policy, climate-related policies that will reduce emissions. The idea that we'd go back backwards on any of them is kind of extraordinary. I, I imagine you agree, Tim. Yeah, not only that, but the the threat to kind of raid uh, the emergency, the climate emergency response fund, um, is is really a big deal too, because that's taking money out of cycling and walking infrastructure. Another really good way to make sure that people aren't in cars and, and creating more emissions. Yeah. So, Timothy, are we so expensive because we haven't had high rise and high density? inner city living. We've all been our quarter acre paradise and therefore everyone's had a car and we haven't worried about public transport and now all of a sudden we are. Is, is, is it a legacy of years of inaction? Yeah, there's two things that are happening. One is certainly our spreading out of cities and keeping low density. And we also have one of the highest car ownership rates in the world, second highest in the world for car auto ownership. Uh, But the other piece of that also is that in New Zealand, by legislation, all buses and public transportation have to recoup half of the cost from your fare. So every time you tap on, you pay 50% of the cost of that trip, where in most countries, it's around 20%, sometimes even less. So we're paying a much higher portion. To be fair, Tim, in, in uh, Auckland, at least that 50% hasn't been um, enforced for some years, has it? 
No, it hasn't always been enforced, uh, but it still is a factor in influencing how much we subsidize public transportation. And we definitely shouldn't treat it as something that should ever turn a profit. It's more of a public good. Yeah. And, and the more we do, uh, yeah. Just as roads are also a public good, and we don't, you know, expect them. <laughs> um, uh, one of the other things is that I think about this is that. It's not a natural order of things that it, we have very high car ownership and we have sprawling suburbs. Now, that was a planning design, uh, intentional in the 50s and 60s and 70s in, in Auckland and the rest of the country. Um, and that's created the position we have now. It's, yeah. not, it's not like it had to be this way. Right. Hey, uh, t- Tim Welch, very good. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's um, My pleasure. Uh, urban uh, modeler. Just very brief note on this. Uh, it's amazing when one crash happens how congested the city gets. Uh, I waited one hour, 60 minutes for my bus, an hour later because of one crash somewhere else. Yeah. That was outrageous. And, and, and that's, just to comment on that, that, that situation, particularly if it occurs on the Harbour Bridge, is often used by planners and others to argue that we can't give a lane on the bridge to cyclists and walking or we, we can't have fewer... Uh, less capacity for cars on our roads because we know what happens when there's a crash. But that's that's anomalous. That's a, a one-off thing that happens when everybody's in their car expecting to be able to drive and it mucks you it's up. It's not now, one-off, though. But, but, okay, but it, it's different from, it is different from saying, okay, this, the situation is that we will have better public transport, we will have more access for safe cycling, and therefore people will be able to choose not to drive. And it's different from, I'm in my car and there's been a crash. Got it. All right, it no, is quite we got to move on because uh, we have our uh, gentleman waiting. Just a word on this because I've got to read this out. Uh, this is from our panel show and tell. We'll have another one. I have something special, a letter from Queen Elizabeth II, or rather from her lady-in-waiting on behalf of her. In 53, during her visit to the country, I wrote her a letter of welcome and good wishes. I would have been eight at the time. From Layla. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Uh, The panel, finally, time to get the nets ready, get the waders on. It's whitebait season from 5am today, ending October 30. For many, it won't mean a thing. For others... It's a religion, and the last of the new regulations will roll out for the South Island's west coast. And there's a Rahui on white baiting in Hawke's Bay for this year. With us is Peter Langlands. He fishes out in Banks Peninsula. Kia ora, Peter. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. Been out today? Uh, I actually been out trout fishing today <laughs> and um, doing some um, bird photography, but I've certainly been around um, some of the rivers, but uh, yeah, around uh, Lake Ellesmere, so I haven't been, um, haven't seen any white baiters on the river today, but um, yeah, looking forward to getting into it a little bit later in the season, generally around October, sort of the better month, things warm up a bit and the sort of shoals are a bit larger. It's wonderful, isn't it? What sort of season are you expecting? Yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty good. Um, I've already had a look through um, New Zealand uh, whitebaiting Facebook page, and it looks like, yeah, around the motu, people have been getting pretty good catches. It's uh, been a nice, warm, sunny day, so that always uh, helps get the whitebait moving in the rivers. You know what's, what I'm thinking of, Sydney? Close, close, a fritter. Just cl- close your eyes. Fritter and white bread, little bit of tomato sauce. <sighs> no, I'm thinking fritter, egg only, no flour. Quick fry and then with lemon and parsley. Peter, how much do you think it's going to be? 
is what I said. You know, I hate to have such a philistine question. But the small pottles, are we going to have, uh, you know, a bumper harvest? Because we have got some areas we can't use. What's the supply going to be like? Yeah, that's a good point. I'd say the price would be pretty good, this pretty high this season. Probably it will be around $120, $140 kilo mark, I'd say. Um, but, yeah, it sort of, it sort of depends. Um, certainly, um, yeah, it's a popular... Um, it's it's pretty much white gold in the river. <laughs> so it should be. So Peter, Simon. question for you. And I love white bait, but I do have to ask this: white bait are the juveniles of what is it? Five species of fish. Most of them are endangered. Some of them are close to extinction. What's your response there? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, look, there, there, there's one key species that makes up the white bait catch in New Zealand, the Enanga or Enaka as the other, it's got two Māori names. But, um, yeah, the numbers almost certainly have been reduced, but the really surprising thing is if you look at how much spawning habitat there is left for um, white bait in New Zealand, it's it's really, really almost pathetic. Um, and we've still got the white bait coming through. So um, they're doing okay. We I think we're really missing the mark with it's not the harvest or the white baiting, I think, is the core problem. The limiting factor almost certainly is going to be the uh, amount of spawning habitat that whitebait have. And we've really got to look after the habitat um, in our rivers and almost to the point now of creating whitebait spawning habitat because that will really bolster up the fishery. Uh, it's sort of trickling along. It's it's a sort of death by a thousand cuts for a lot of New Zealand rivers with, you know, lots more people, lots more pollution, nitrates, runoff. Um, you know, we're dealing with a lot more um, weather, climatic stuff. There's a whole raft of, of issues. But somehow, despite all the doom and gloom and everything, people roll out on the river year after year. And, you know, people, a lot of people are, uh, do okay, you know. A lot of people just want to go out and get a feed of whitebait. My wonderful um, producer that, said four out of six whitebait species are threatening extinction. Yeah, that, uh, uh, so that's, you know, that really is, Peter, uh, we love our whitebait, but that's got to be top of mind, huh? But Peter said we get our whitebait from the inunga, which is... Yeah. So, so what percentage of our whitebait comes from the inunga? I think it's really high. I think it's um, over 80%. It could even be higher than that. So it really is Simon? the core whitebait species that's harvested in New Zealand. Yeah. Look, the, the, rate, the rate of decline of, of whitebait numbers has been... They are declining. There's no doubt about it. They have declined, but... Um, no, it's threat, it's, we're talking okay. about threatening extinction so, yeah, here. So, so Quick word Simon. Four of the species are threatened with extinction. One of them is the no, Inanga. No One way, of them is the no Inanga. Way. And no, they're, they're no not, they are. They're not, they're not going to go it's extinct. It's correct. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean... One of the arguments yeah. I've seen is that there are three of those species are as threatened as the North Island brown kiwi, and we wouldn't eat that. And we wouldn't say yeah, we've got well, to, look, we've we got really, to sort out we its really habitat and we'll be fine. So yeah, I, we the, have to, Final thought, Peter? Yeah, well, no, I think we really need to revise that. You just need to look at what people are catching. But, look, this is a really core cool point that I seem to make year after year. Doc need to manage the whitebait fishery for what it is. It's something of high value. They need to bring in a licensing system for it. They need to get revenue from the whitebait that's caught commercially, and they need to put that back into habitat protection and habitat creation. So we really bolster the whitebait fishery up. Um, we've got to look at the bigger picture Wonderful of habitat stuff. loss. Hey, Pete.
Peter. Uh, over harvest. Over harvest is a really small thing compared to the Understood. loss of the habitat. We are coming back to this yeah. next week. We've got to come back to it. So, <laughs> Forest but, and Bird will have something to but say. But for now, Peter, hey, have a, have a good one. Yeah. Kia ora. Really appreciate your time today. That's uh, Peter uh, Langlands who fishes out in the Banks Peninsula. So maybe, what, hold off on the white bait sandwich? Yeah, no, no ordering <laughs> white bait fritters for you, Simon. No, you're right. At Leo's look, latest just, restaurant. Just remember, fish and chips and hokey. The grass is lava. It's a great party game. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, just joking. Stop it. Just joking. Gosh almighty. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you Monday. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next. Thanks to you, and I'm a producer.